Our gracious Father in heaven, we are thankful for a beautiful day that thou has given us. We're thankful for the warmth of the sun. It brings us to our mind the change in the seasons and the continuity of, of the seasons thou hast set for man to experience here on earth. And it also is a reminder to us, Father, of thy faithfulness, that thy love will be promised and is promised and will be seen in the lives of those who trust thee. And as thy psalmist said, that we believe that we will see thy goodness in the land of the living. And so, Father, with that same hope, we, we ask that thou would bless now our time together as we have partaken already of the spiritual food this morning and, and of the physical during lunch, we ask now that that would feed us again once more with the spiritual food. Speak to everyone that's present. Thou knowest the needs. Thou knowest the state of the hearts and of the minds and the things that we all need to hear in order to continue on in our lives, serving thee and glorifying thy name. This we ask of thee in Jesus' name. Amen. The word is open to the twelfth chapter in the gospel in the book, the letter to the Romans. Romans chapter twelve. And with the Lord's help I'd like to remain there. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorted on exhortation, he that giveth let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness." Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. 
distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I have read the entire chapter. The scripture speaks to us in this chapter, a common chapter for many, of the need where the expression is used, I beseech you, I implore you, I, I solicit the, that part of you that should both be rational and, and emotional to consider the plea for us to live out our lives as a living sacrifice. Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, says here, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Normally, we would not in any way find an objection to a statement like this, especially when we consider what Jesus Christ who was the Son of God, who, who was present at the time when, when, when there was no time, when God, through Jesus Christ, in the power of God, created the universe and every living thing. When that person chose willingly to be the one, the ultimate sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice, the only holy, holy sacrifice, that could make it possible for mankind to be reunited and at peace with his maker. When we consider in that context what it is to make ourselves available to God to be used as sacrifices, to present our bodies, in other words, the actions that proceed from our bodies, the ability for us to give of our time, of our thoughts, in order to serve God in a way that would be pleasing. This is reasonable for us. Ultimately, Any religion that would not offer that and would not command that 
wouldn't be worth believing. Any religion or any belief that ultimately does not require you to give of yourself in the service just wouldn't be worth it, wouldn't have a meaning, wouldn't have a significance. And we understand that man believes that religion is a, a creation, it is a, an invention of, of the human mind to account for the supernatural evidence around them. That that is the natural man's definition of religion in order to help those who, if you will, who are weak in the mind, be able to make sense of the things that they can understand. And so religion, in the world's view, has a... Um, a comforting effect, but has no real significance, has no real meaning. It is fiction. It is a placebo effect to help man who can't understand anything else find comfort in his life. If that is what we believe, if that is what ultimately the scripture boils down to, we would find it really vanity. And I would be one of the first to leave an exit because I would find such a religion vain. But the Bible makes it clear that we are not believing a set of beliefs that we can put together in a box and define as a religion. We believe a set of beliefs that are based on evidence, historical evidence, and evidence that we see every day in our own lives. We experience the nearness and the presence of God in our own lives. And even though at times when God commands us as believers to offer our lives as living sacrifices. We don't begin to understand that until we recognize that what God is asking us to do requires faith and requires us to completely depend on him and trust him for what we don't understand. The Bible tells us that Judgment will begin in the household of God. And I've often thought about how God is going to bring that about. And one of the things that I believe God is using as an instrument to engage his body and to refocus our hearts back to him is through suffering, through illness. When we experience illness and when we experience suffering or when we are close to one who does suffer, when we are close enough to the, to the situation where we ask God questions like, what are you doing? How can this be rational? How can this make any sense? When we're that close to the situation and we feel 
the necessity to ask God what is happening. Why is this happening? Why has he chosen this instrument, this, this mechanism to draw us closer to him? It's, it's when we get to those moments that we begin to understand the meaning of a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. When I think back in my own life, many years back when I was so eager and zealous to, to reject the world and embrace Christianity and embrace the, the gospel and embrace the service of a Christian, I had no idea. I had no idea what it was going to entail. I had an idealistic view of serving God, and God allowed me, as we sang today, he, he allows us to go along our path, but there comes a time when he asks us to move forward in a direction that he has now said, this is the time. This is now the time in your life when you need to serve me in this particular capacity. And when I say capacity, I mean that God is choosing to bring upon in our lives events that cause us to, to draw closer to him. And it's that struggle. It's that struggle between completely surrendering and, and, begin, and understanding that what we don't understand doesn't matter. We don't need to fully understand all the circumstances in our lives. We don't need to explain to the world what is happening to us. We don't need to come up with a justification why things in our lives may not be consistent with perhaps the image of Christianity presented in the media that isn't necessarily evident in our lives, if God has chosen the, the mechanism of pain and suffering and illness to draw his body closer to himself, that is his call, his decision. And it doesn't require any justification from our part to the world or even to ourselves. Because ultimately, as God says, my ways are so far above your ways. My thoughts are so far above your thoughts. In my own finite thinking, the way that I can, I can understand reality around me based on experience, and your experience and my experience are limited, it's, it's based on what we can encounter in our lifetime, the things that we have read, the things that we have validated through personal experience and knowledge. That perception of life is so limited that we have to throw all that out and stick to the Word of God and simply trust him when he calls us to be a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't rationalize the will of God. And I think that at times, personally, I try to 
put God's methods through a logical process as I understand it in the scripture. But I realize more and more that, that, that to conform or to be transformed by the renewing of my mind means that I need to continue to think in a spiritual way, in a way that is above the human thinking. It is having the eternal perspective in view. It is having the, the time when we will be with him in, in heaven or in the new earth, as it says in the scriptures, believing that completely in our hearts and knowing that when we actually experience that reality that we all want to experience one day, that the world calls fantasy, but we believe it to be true, it is part of what we believe. It is part of our belief system. It is part of our set of beliefs. The world may say that we are foolish in believing fantasies of a world to come, of a new rapturous world to come, but we believe it to be true. We believe that is the hope that we cling to. We cling to the hope that one day we will be together with God and that when we are there, we will be able then to look back and say everything we went through had complete meaning and they could not compare with the glory that we are experiencing in that time. Everything that we are going through right now is worth it in order to secure something that we cannot even imagine and we cannot fully comprehend, but for which we hope to one day attain. We cannot believe that and have our heart and mind still in the world. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot, one foot in the ways of God. We can't straddle both thoughts. We have to choose to abide in one or the other. And as much as we like to choose the one, we are weak. We are living in the flesh. We are encountering everyday realities. Some of you have your own businesses. Some of you have to deal with the realities of your business. Some of those realities are not nice. Some of those realities prompt you to make decisions whether you know that if you're going to be true to the Christian character and you're going to act out in a Christian character, you're going to lose out in some transactions in your business. Some of us know that if we're going to live out a Christian character in our corporate world, we are going to shortchange ourselves, relatively speaking, to the ways of the world. These are decisions we make every day when we experience life. And those decisions and those experiences, the Bible calls just like Lot. Just Lot was vexed every day by, by viewing, observing the things in this world that were so corrupt. And it is that decision we have to make every day. And as much as we like to make those decisions, the right choices, we are still in many ways vexed by it. And God has to make that transformation of the renewing of the mind happen for us. The Bible tells us that we, we can renew our mind through the washing of the word, hearing the word of God, 
coming to the church, being inspired by the, the messages, spending time collectively or individually in studying the Word of God. But the greatest lessons that we learn and the best way to have our mind transformed and renewed is when God chooses to do it for us. When God orchestrates and designs situations in our lives that give us basically two choices. If we choose to believe him, we will experience a renewal of the mind. If we choose not to believe him or struggle with the circumstances in our lives, we will not experience renewal of our mind. We will not experience continued transformation. Why do we need this? Were we not transformed and renewed when we were baptized? Was the conversion experience not sufficient? Our minds were renewed. Our conscience was sharpened. Our, our mind was open to the understanding of God and to his spiritual reality. So why do we need this continuing transformation and renewal? The Bible tells us that we need this so that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Have you ever caught yourself thinking in a way that you know was a way that you used to think way back in time when you were not as experienced in walking with the Lord? Have you ever been in a situation where you've, you are rationalizing or, or, or making decisions about the situation or, or defining the situation a certain way in your life and then realizing that that's the way you used to think before, before you had gone through all these experiences? And God had taught you different lessons. And God had showed you that this is my will. This is what I defined as good. This is what I consider to be perfect. Our understanding of God's definition of good, acceptable, and perfect grows with every experience. And just when we thought we understood these things, God brings another situation in our lives where he asks us to be a living sacrifice yet again and where he wants us to present our bodies a living sacrifice yet again. And then once more, we go through this process of understanding how this could possibly be God's good will, how this could be God's perfect and acceptable will and when we struggle through that experience and we come to fully surrender, we grow in that understanding and our mind is renewed once again. For me at least, I don't know about anyone else, I can only speak about myself. I feel that this is a cycle. It is a renewal cycle. It happens every so often. 
where God brings experiences and it feels like you're being asked to present your body as a living sacrifice. Third verse says here, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now I remember studying this once and I do not feel inspired at this moment to talk about that, but as I understand this, each of us are given a measure of faith. Faith is a gift. And it is like the parables that we hear when Jesus talked about the talent, that the talent was given to each one of the servants. Now, the word talent means money. And in that context, the money was entrusted for every servant, a certain amount, and the 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 Lord of the household expected the servants to work with that money and to earn back a return for the, for the master of the house. But each one was given a certain measure of money. And likewise, we don't know the measure of faith given to each of us, but it is a gift bestowed by God. And God wants us to work with the measure of faith given to us. He expects that faith to grow. He expects that faith to multiply in us. And it is not important how much faith I was given. It is not important how much faith you were given. That doesn't matter. What matters is what we do with the faith. What matters is that we make that faith grow. And the way we make faith to grow is that we put it into action. We put it to use. In other words, we allow God to work that faith to grow in us by the things that happen to us. And so if we look at it from that perspective, we didn't work for the faith that was initially given to us. We're expected to work with the faith once it's given to us. And we are to be sober or be um, self-controlled that's one interpretation of, of, or one use of the word soberly, to think soberly, to think, to, to have a, a proper perspective of oneself. And God, as God is, he places, God places limitations on us. And when he calls us to his service, we need to work within those limits that God expects of us. And as it speaks here, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, this suggests that we, that man may, may come to have a higher opinion of himself than what God intended for that person. What is the consequence of such a situation? Well, the first consequence is that if someone has a higher opinion of themselves 
than he really ought to have, or he fails to see himself in the proper perspective that God sees him within the limitations and bounds that God has placed upon that individual, then there's one major characteristic that's missing then, and that's humility. In the absence of humility, it's very difficult to present yourselves a living sacrifice. Furthermore, it's very difficult to be willing to be transformed by the renewing of our mind when God uses circumstances to change us. Thinking or having a higher opinion of ourselves than, than is proper or correct prevents us from growing. It prevents us from seeing ourselves who we really are and it blinds us to the, to the, the areas in our lives that are gaping holes, that are, that are areas that need much improvement, but because we have a blind or a distorted view of ourselves, we can't see those needs in our own lives and we fail to allow God to work on those when God tries to work in those needs in our own lives because we have an inflated opinion of ourselves. And the thing is that that inflated opinion doesn't have to be one where someone is in a very high state of a, a very high position. It could happen to the lowest, lowest position in any, any, any hierarchy. Anyone can have a high opinion of themselves that's out of proportion to God's perspective. Anyone, regardless of their rank or their position in life, can have pride. And that pride can cause that person to miss out on the growth that God expects. In fact, we can put the two together and realize that pride makes it impossible for you to be a living sacrifice. It makes it impossible for me to be a living sacrifice. It makes it impossible for me to discern the will of God and conclude what is acceptable, what is good, and what is perfect in God's eyes. Pride does all this. And the one who immediately suffers from that is the one who, who has the pride. And then there is then there is damage to those that are in contact with an individual like that. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, where there prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, and he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorted on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, or which or means liberally. Liberally, not not sort of measuring out, well, I'm only going to give this much, but liberally. Simplicity means just give it liberally, without thinking. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And then he goes on to say, let love be without dissimulation. In other words, this, and this is a word that we use in Spanish a lot, dissimular, which means, and that's why Apostle Paul told Timothy that that the unfeigned faith that was in his grandmother Lois, that was in his mother Eunice, is also in him. 
the unfeigned faith, which is, it's not fake. We can fake. There are churches, there are organizations that fake these services and these ministries that we, we exhort. Can you imagine being a cheerful, someone who encourages others, and in the end you were just going through the motions? You didn't really believe it? Or that you were giving, but your giving was perhaps more to do with the impression given? Or that if, if you were given a, a, a responsibility of authority to rule with diligence, that, that these things were done for the wrong reasons, for the wrong motives, primarily selfish motives? Or that you, you were asked to show mercy and your cheerfulness when you did the action of mercy was fake? Is that perhaps what, what, as was read this morning, the church in Ephesus? The church in Ephesus, if you read, they had all the actions. They had all the right, they had all the right visual effects. But they had lost their, they had lost their first love. They said, it says here in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Don't fake the love. And if you have to fake the love, then you need to think about it. And you need to question in your mind, why am I faking this love? Why is it that I have to fake this love in order to, in order to show mercy to this person? Why do I have to fake the cheerfulness of showing mercy to this person? Because why is that, is that possible? Why is it possible that I have to fake the smile when I'm interacting with this person? Why do I have to fake it? And Apostle Paul knew that we are a body. And there's going to be this interaction. And there's going to be this temptation. And there are going to be circumstances in your life when... When, you're, when for, there is a reason, an underlying reason, why you can't be free enough to love without faking it. In other words, to genuinely love because it's genuinely in your heart. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, I mean, these are, what we're reading here are, are the necessary actions that a church must put into place in order, or any family, in your own family, in my own family, in our own private interactions in our own homes. When we're all tired or where the kids are hungry or when someone's, when whatever is happening, there's a situation going on. And, and we have to be a kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love, in good times and in bad times, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. And we have to prefer one another. That means that in many cases we need to swallow and we need to, when, when we feel that, wait a minute, my situation needs to be heard here. Wait a minute. My, my circumstances need to take some precedence, you know, in front of all these other circumstances that everyone else is uh, jostling or competing to, to, to have the greatest uh, attention or the need placed upon those circumstances. 
And yet, God says that we ought to prefer one another, which means that, that it's that all over again. God is asking us to be that living sacrifice, that holy and acceptable sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. This is reasonable. And it is only reasonable because we just have to look at what Jesus Christ did for us. Every time it feels unreasonable, every time you get this feeling or this notion in your mind, and I get it too, when I get the notion in my mind that this is unreasonable, I have to think back, well, so was what happened to Jesus Christ. It was, uh, it was unreasonable that the, the Creator should suffer shame by his creation in such a terrible way. It was unreasonable. But he did it because he loved us. He didn't dissimulate the love. It was not, un, it was not feigned by God and by Jesus. And so in that perspective, it is reasonable for us to be willing to be that living sacrifice. Be not slothful in business. Now, this doesn't mean in your, in your, in your financial businesses or in your work business. It just means in, in the business of the Lord. That's the proper perspective, in the business of the Lord. And the truth is that whether you are self-employed or you're working for a corporation or you're not employed or you're a student or whatever you are in life today, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, your primary business is the Lord's business. Everything else is secondary. Every other situation you find yourself in is secondary. It is just the consequences of living out this reality, living out in life today. We could have been living 200 years ago and having a completely different circumstance in our life. And those things are constantly changing, so it doesn't matter. But what is consistent and true in all ages is the business of the Lord. And so we are not to be slothful in that business. We are not to be lazy in remaining attentive to God's will for our lives. Everything else is secondary. His will is primary. And the world finds a real problem with that. The world defines our decision to place God's will ahead of their will as a bad choice in your career. A bad choice in your career. But then it's that heavenly perspective. I know that this world is coming to an end. I know that there is a finite time given to this world. And I believe, if I am to believe in Jesus, if I am to believe in God, I am to believe in a new heaven and a new earth. I believe that there will come a time when all this will disappear. And only those that believed will be there. As fanciful as that may seem to the world, it is what I believe to be true. Therefore, I act. Therefore, I speak based on what I believe. And therefore, God commands me and you to be a living sacrifice. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Remember, your fervency for the Lord's business must outweigh your fervency for the world. That is, that is a, a gauge you can use in your own life. Rejoicing in hope, 
patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And this, this, this verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing instant in prayer, is, is, is an, a simple verse and easy to comprehend and exercise when, it's, when the days are nice, when it's sunny outside in your life, when your life is full of sunshine. This verse is very easy to apply. It's not easy to apply. It's not as easy to apply when God is asking you to be a living sacrifice. Now, he asks that of us daily, but there are times when he's pushing us. He's pushing us to go beyond where we are today in our spiritual walk, in the measure of faith that we have cultivated and grown. He's asking us that in those times when we are tempted and when we ask God, what are you doing? We're, he's asking us to rejoice in hope and to be patient in tribulation and to be continuing instant in prayer, not to give up, not to stop praying because you can't talk to God anymore because at this moment, and I remember, I remember experiencing that. I remember when, when, when Emily was, was first sick in the hospital, I, I remember that I, I couldn't pray. I couldn't pray. I tried to pray, and I, 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 I couldn't talk to God. It's almost like I couldn't make eye contact with God. It's because, you know, sometimes you, you meet someone, and you know that you know, they're kind of shy, and they don't like to make eye contact with you. And it, that's how I was with God. And I was like that because... Because I felt like what God was doing didn't make sense. And I, I couldn't see him eye to eye. I couldn't come to him in prayer. Because when I come to God in prayer, it's like seeing him eye to eye. And I couldn't pray because I couldn't see him eye to eye. And yet he tells us here to continue instant in prayer. Never let that communication line between you and God be severed by an attitude that may find stronghold in your heart. And so that's why we need to be together. That's why we need to be encouraged by the word of God. That's why we need to have our mind renewed. We need to be transformed so that we see things from the right heavenly perspective. And then we can implicitly trust God for what we don't understand. I believe... I believe personally that God is, using, God is using at least the instrument of illness to refocus the church back to him. To, to touch all of us in a way that we are, are compelled to draw closer to God in our prayer life in order to intercede for someone who is suffering. He's asking us to to try to place ourselves in the situation of that parent or of that child that's going through that suffering and to draw close to God, to experience the, 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 the phenomenon, if you will, of intercession. But it's personal. And then God brings it to your life where you have a need to come to him and to trust him for whatever he has brought your way. It's not, 
when God chooses those things, they're not a choice that we would make for ourselves. But it is God's best choice for us. And he knows, ultimately, the, the end result is that it helps us stay engaged in him. May the Lord bless his word. Amen. Brother, please select a Hymn 177, the first and the last verse. Our dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, that dwelleth in the heavens, looking upon this earth, is there anybody 
seeking thine face. O dear Heavenly Father, be merciful unto us. We are not worthy even to look up in the sky that are burdened, as you know, with this world, its worries, its goals. We ask the dear Heavenly Father, be merciful unto us and hear our humble prayer. Join it with many, many prayers that are raising this Sunday day and afternoon hour to thy holy throne of grace. Joining the prayers of angels and archangels, elders in heavenly hosts that all praise thy holy name. And praise because thou worthy. They created everything, dear Heavenly Father, that can be seen and even unseen. Treasures you have hidden. That guided everything with thine wisdom. That we sometimes ask ourselves, who is the man that he, thou remember? Because we are as small as a speck of dust in thine universe. However, still, thy mercy and thy grace and thy, thy love and kindness dwell with us lowly creatures of this earth. And uh, you had so much love towards us that you sent the dear beloved son of thine, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And dear Heavenly Father, this afternoon hour, we as poor creatures here on this valley of sorrows ask ourselves, as we do many times in our lives, why, O Lord, and how come in our lives these sufferings? And then as we dwell on it and pray and listen to thy word, we come to thee, dear Heavenly Father, thine only begotten Son, who was well acquainted with grief and sorrow, whose head was crowned with horns, and who was given stripes for his love towards us, who was then made a spectacle amongst the people, put on a high place, risen on Golgotha, on that rugged cross, pierced by nails. And dear Heavenly Father had to be mocked by everybody. It's thine will, dear Heavenly Father, that we follow that example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this world that so many times lost the light and doesn't know the way. 
Yet again, dear Heavenly Father, there's the way and the door right in front of us. The way is the way of suffering, and the door and the, the path is narrow. And we all share this suffering. Dear Heavenly Father, give us strength and wisdom to come to the end, to be victorious in this struggle, because we don't struggle against the flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and corruptions even in the holy in, in the high places. Dear Heavenly Father, give us strength and persistence and give us all the armor of the Holy Spirit to quench the fiery darts that are coming from the Satan, the enemy of our soul. As we heard, he is going around as a roaring lion looking whom he may devour. He is our adversary. Protect us against him, dear Heavenly Father, because without thine protection, we are lost. But even if we say so, we know that we are forgiven and we are triumphant in this struggle, dear Heavenly Father. Just we know that we have to be patient until you make an end. And dear Heavenly Father, hasten, hasten thy coming and make us ready for thy second coming because thy second coming will be as a, as a burning fire and thy coming will be melting all the hearts and you will be taking thy gold and thy silver. Make us worthy of thy coming and thy mercy. Dear Heavenly Father, we also want to bring to you loving care and keeping all these brethren, all these suffering souls that are bound by illness or some are suffering the, the loss of the dear one. Dear Heavenly Father, all these suffering ones, all these who are sick, all these who are uh, staying at their homes without this comfort of thy holy word, uh, knock on do their doors of their hearts and comfort them and be healer of their soul, dear Heavenly Father. There are many petitions that we would uh, like to bring to your attention, dear Heavenly Father. However, we know that you know everything, even before we ask. And we ask thee, or Heavenly Holy Ghost, Spirit of Comfort, to bring this poor, and humble prayer and join it with thine prayers and give us mercy and stay with us until the end of this world. Be with us and stay with us not only for now, but forevermore. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Appreciate the prayer about, particularly about hastening the return of the Lord. There was a time when I thought that even though we all look towards the return of Jesus Christ, but if you're young, you feel that there are things in life that you want to fulfill, which is really, uh, if you look at it, it just doesn't make sense because there's nothing worthy 
than here on this life that you may want to fulfill. But I thought that way at one time, and now I'm thankful that I do pray that the Lord's come return would be hastened. And I pray for those who do not know him as the Lord, who have not embraced him, that they would consider this and take to heart the things that you hear when you come to church, the things you see in the lives of those who believe and, and live out their faith, the things you know from the scripture to be true. And understanding that Christianity is what it is based in the scripture. It's not what the world presents Christianity to be. And God has chosen us, chosen his people, the Christians, to experience the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ daily in their body. And yet, in doing so, he says, always rejoice. Almost seems like a contradiction, but it isn't. It isn't once we surrender and become living sacrifices for him. May the Lord bless his word. This concludes our service. Amen.